do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 37. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. This is the final episode with Court Seaman talking about technicity. It's the fourth of the four parts. And in this one, Court draws everything together to show how technicity can be applied to curriculum and to curriculum planning. He talks about a chart and the different stages and developmental um, steps through the genre of technicity and how you can use that in curriculum. And you might find it useful to go to the website technicity.org. There's a link in the show notes and have a look at the chart. Maybe follow that while you're listening to this podcast. He ends with a summary, which hopefully that will show you how all of the four episodes draw together. As ever, thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, now all these things so far have been pretty interesting, I think, in in the sense that now we have some abstract conceptual frames for what is designing and working technologically. We have new language, such as designing and working technologically. We have we have an equivalence of literacy to technicity. We have we, we have these things. We have ways of checking our ethics and forming of knowledge with the uh, the way we test our knowledge as an optimization compared to a uh, falsification comparison with science. And we, we have a classification system and rules of work. What we haven't talked about, and this is the really exciting thing going on at Swinburne at the moment with my colleague, um, Associate Professor uh, Therese Keane, uh, myself, and a quite a swag of uh, other school teachers and senior uh, lead teachers in, in schools, K to 12, is that we're looking at uh, expanding on work that about 12 schools did with me a few years back called uh, Placing Technicity Development uh, in Children Across Their Lifespan from uh, Early Years to Year 12. If we understand how uh, a child grows and develops across their technological world-making ideas, where they not only make things in the world, but not only uh, make themselves in the world, but they make sense of the world, uh, you know, making worlds, making self, making sense. These, these are key concepts in educational development. But how does this change as the child gets older? Is it just all the same? And the other problem that we find when teaching, uh, working, uh, designing and working technologically is how do you manage the, the degree with which you challenge the child? How do you do learning which is 
targeting the developmental next step, the, the stretch, if you like, that uh, we're, we're trying to get the child to engage in. And what are the early stages of learning anything new in technological knowledge? Um, and what does this all look like when you go across the different genres? You see, there's, there's, there's quite a mapping out to do. And, and the map that we use is called the uh, Technocy and Innovation Chart of Development. So we worked with a bunch of uh, um, cross-cultural schools in Australia a few years back. We got a great grant for it. And we developed this, this chart to get us going. And, um, and I want to just quickly touch on a few ideas in there, but we won't have time to go into it completely. Well, one of the, one of the key ideas here is that when, when we ask people who teach technology uh, subjects what's, what's happening uh, when you, why we do this, and many of them say we, we teach it to develop their um, problem-solving skills, you know, and, and this is quite true. But uh, how do you uh, teach to solve problems? And they, you would typically hear uh, initial teacher educators uh, talk about, oh, we just give kids a, a whole heap of problems to solve. But eventually you find yourself just repeating projects after projects after projects, maybe with a different material, maybe with a different uh, application context, but there's nothing really advancing their, their development in any holistic way. And you don't know how to diagnose their learning uh, terribly well or consistently um, across, across the profession either. So this uh, technology and Innovation Development Chart is a chart of mapping out appropriate developmental expectations of students as they grow into a field of technology knowledge. And here I want to talk about this concept where we have um, something that the teacher controls in the classroom and something that you're observing in the qualities of the student and their response to what you're providing. So what we do is that we say we need a mapping language and the language we use is in this uh, technology chart. So the chart has a few key features to it. So the idea is that if you move from left to right, uh, uh, we have this, uh, these three core columns of uh, information from left to right. We have the first column of activity we often uh, initially set for people, and we call that the, the emergent phase, uh, where we want uh, the brain and the body to discover relationship and senses and texts, uh, uh, the, the, the texture of things um, of the world and, and how things basically work or how, how a uh, scripting and programming block, uh, visual block code works. Um, we want them to emerge with some discovery and guided play in the early stage. It's called the emergent phase. Uh, there's an early emergent phase and there's an upper emergent phase. Now, we also want to move them along. We want to uh, start to introduce what other people have learnt in that genre of technology. So there's uh, a lot of knowledge that uh, humans have learnt in different areas of technology, and we call that knowledge when it's recorded and refined uh, to its most efficient form. We call that the uh, codified knowledge or competencies. And so we have a early and upper competent phase. Uh, this is often stuff that you see in curriculum and standards bodies. And then we have the real big stretch. We have the upper, the early and upper sophisticated phase. 
and the sophisticated phase is because the uh, challenge we set as teachers is quite complex. It's got a lot of elements to it and some elements are not clear. So reality is really kicking in at that sophisticated phase and it often needs more, more than one or two or even 20 people to solve the problem. So across, you've got emergent, competent, and sophisticated. That's what the teacher controls in the complexity level of the project brief they give. And then going up is what you're trying to observe of your uh, students. You know, you want to see if they're responding with a playfulness. So the first level uh, at the bottom uh, before you go up is seeing, do you see your students playing with the with the uh, elements and, and the components that you're offering them? Do, do they have a chance to click on the, all the tools on the screen? Do they have a chance to uh, play with materials, uh, work with communicating with others in a small group, um, drawing? Let, let them play and discover, let the brain construct an understanding of the world that you're getting them introduced to. You also want to see if they start to consolidate two of more things that seem to work. You know, when they play, they discover certain things that work. They, dis they discover that you can do a post, uh, two posts and put a block across and it holds up like a bit of a doorway. You can discover you put one, one um, object-oriented uh, coding block in, in, a, in a software programs and a light will go on and off on, on the device that it's connected to that you're programming. So in the, in, in the consolidation level, the middle level up, uh, we're looking for students to show they, that two or more things are starting to be combined from their discovery play stage to get something happening. And then in the upper end, the, the, the high end, uh, we're talking about what we call the uh, pioneering stage. This is where they uh, are showing really uh, new ideas. They've gone past playfulness. They've seen the way to consolidate. So they've started to imagine possibilities. They start to imagine futures in the pioneering stage. They start to draw on the futures. Uh, they start to imagine these futures drawing on their consolidations and playful activities, which makes the play and consolidation activities, he said, pretty important. So now we have a way to map. We have a way to say that uh, little Johnny or little, little, little Jackie, given an um, a, a upper uh, emergent play, um, activity, and then I'm going to progress them to uh, early consolidation um, activity. Or you might say we've got some kids in um, year eight, nine who are starting to show great codified knowledge of competent consolidations to a certain standard. So you're going to increase uh, the complexity of the project and see if they can move into the sophisticated consolidation stage. And it, you may even, uh, in some situations, particularly in digital tech, uh, challenge the whole class to work on something together and we call that the uh, sophisticated pioneer stage. So this is the idea that there is language we can use to map people across and into a developmental map to diagnose where their learning is at and where you can improve and uh, uh, put some remediation or extension in for their next set of lessons in the, in the following term of teaching. Uh, and this is an exciting project we're working on now, and I find that to be um, a fantastic tool. So it's pretty exhausting, but I'm, I thank you for those who uh, um, stuck with it. So technicity genre theory and technicity education 
uh, came out of, as a summary, came out of uh, cross-cultural work. Um, it looks at common ideas between it that asks the question, when is something not technological knowledge? And there's key language that needed to be invented to help us navigate this space of how we classify the knowledge of making our world. And we came up with something called technology genre theory, which you can index, that's families of technologies. And we often use multiple families to create one project. We call that the uh, networked systems rule. We improvise and substitute with our tools and resources. We call that uh, the, uh, the improvisation and substitution rule. And we recognize that everything we have right now in front of us in terms of made objects and programs have a genesis behind that there's been other nested systems to get them to where they are now. And we're in that chain producing something else next. We looked at how we can uh, classify tools to be both instruments and measuring devices as well as tools that manipulate. We looked at the way we can uh, identify that the way we validate knowledge in technology is that we're looking at the forward impact, whereas in scientific knowledge as a comparison point, we're looking everything up to publication. But as soon as we act on changing the world, we're working technologically. Uh, and just remember that we all do this. Um, uh, we don't have to be separate people doing this. When I work on a design project, I might use a scientific method to test the material, but then I would use a designer technology method to take it forward into a project. And so we have um, a... Uh, uh, build knowledge by, where, by means of Karl Popper's falsification of science, and we have build contextual knowledge by means of uh, best fit uh, assessment to see if uh, the design works for the purpose and context uh, research that we have done. We also have this idea that um, in addition to all of that, uh, there's an opportunity now to uh, chart and map and diagnose learning in how children um, make their wills, how, how we uh, make um, a sense of the worlds, and, and, and this is how they make themselves, by seeing themselves create something that works, that's the big test in technology knowledge, that it works in context. By seeing something that works, then they know that they've formed something new in their head in terms of remembered knowledge. And so now we have a, a way in which we can um, chart people across from emergent play through to sophisticated pioneer. We can give teachers guidance on how complex they set the project with parameters in the social, um, in the uh, motor and in the cognitive space altogether in the one technology action. And we can see how different genres uh, of technology might map differently for different age groups across that chart. So all, all in all, it's a pretty exciting area um, to start looking into research. And I uh, invite everybody uh, out there who uh, is listening to this to tune in to um, emails and the technacy.org uh, uh, website because we're running a major research, international research conference for the Design Technology Teachers Association of Australia in Coffs Harbour, but it'll be by way of a webinar. So you can um, submit and register um, to uh, present a paper or an idea or a reflective practice. And we will be streaming it in, in November, sorry, in December this year, between the 2nd and 5th of December, 2020, um, in, in and out of Coffs Harbour. 
of the Southern Cross University campus there in uh, North Coast, New South Wales. Uh, look for it. It's, it's all about uh, uh, technology education um, working across the boundaries of knowledge, culture and space. So that's the end of the final episode and hopefully you've listened to the other three. I'm now interested to know what you think. When I first talked with Court and we recorded these, I really found the structure and the way Court talked about it and the way it linked to curriculum very powerful. I think it's got a lot of potential, but as I've talked about previously with Eddie, there may be other ways of knowing in design and technology. If you do have any thoughts about it, then please drop us an email. What Court has talked about here will become part of the second book that Eddie and I are putting together as we explore the issues and possible solutions or ways of thinking about design and technology knowledge. As ever, thanks for listening. And if you've got any comments, thoughts or feedback, then please drop me an email at alison at alisonhardy.work or via Twitter at hardy underscore alison. You've been listening to the Talking DT podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Alison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening. Thank you.